Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Mark Josephsberg, who's an Alexander Technique teacher in New York City. He's been teaching about 10 years, and he works in the Flatiron area and in Chelsea. And our conversation today uh, could go in any one of a number of directions. We are going to explore an idea of Marx, which is how would the Alexander, I guess, how would the Alexander technique be different if Alexander had been born in 1969 instead of 1869? So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. And uh, just kind of an overview, how, how would it be different? And, I, and where would you like to have Alexander be born? <laughs> That's a lot of power. Yeah. Uh, first of all, um, how how would it be different? Yeah. I have, I have no idea. But, mm-hmm. but uh, we could guess, and I'll talk about that more maybe. But as far as where, since I'm in New York City... Uh, let's say 34th Street in Manhattan. All right. So he's born. And <laughs> uh, what happens next in terms of uh, Alexander Technique development? Again, uh, I'm pretty sure I do not know. But my the original uh, thought about this was that if things would be different, like, like in other words, he was born in 1869 in a certain place, and he wrote and he spoke, and we know about him from 18, you know, in 1885, 1890. <clears throat> if I, I don't know how the technique would be if he invented it, you know, a hundred years later, but how would he be talking about it? It's almost like how what would he be like as an Alexander teacher in a way? If he were like forty something years old, instead of not around anymore, mm-hmm. and some of his original concepts and their uh, meanings and the words he used, would it be the same words? Mm-hmm. Well, probably not, right? Probably not, and yeah. and so therefore, I think it's more than just like a kind of a fun exercise into thinking about it, and more of a fun exercise is and more like. It's more than a fun exercise, and it's more like maybe that could give us some ideas about what the way we think about the technique and how we tell people about it in the words that we use. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, you know, Alexander, as you say, was born in a particular time and place, and uh, not just the time was different, but it was an extraordinary location that he chose to arrive at it was um you know we all know in the alexander world it was tasmania and i don't think a lot of people think more a lot more about that but tasmania was a a really weird place do you are you familiar with the, the history of that and what it was like there in in the 19th century a little bit I'll say. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was the last uh, part of Australia to be settled. It had only recently been settled by the English, and I think around 1820 or so. And uh, of course, uh, England used Australia as a dumping ground for convicts. Mm-hmm. Had been doing that for some time, but Tasmania became convict central. Uh, it was like. 
um, over, I believe, over half the inhabitants of Tas of the European inhabitants were were convicts. Uh, both of uh, Alexander's parents were convicts, and um, it also was the site of um, a, basically a mass extermination of the Aboriginal people who had been living on Tasmania. I mean, the Aborigines didn't do great anywhere in Australia, but Tasmania was the most violent, quick extinction. Mm. And in fact, the last male Aborigine died the very year Alexander was born. <laughs> so, and people who visited Tasmania at that time um, reported that an, an aura of death and destruction lingered over the island. And certainly, that must have affected FM. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it it also, by the way, housed an, a, a notorious prison, which did not have any actual walls because there was nowhere to escape. Um, you would die in shark-infested waters or whatever if you tried to leave. So mm. it was not it was not a great place. And I think the other thing that's kind of important about it, from from terms of impacts on Alexander is that um, in Australia, the, the mainland of Australia, if you like, Tasmania was regarded as the wrong side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. And of course, in Great Britain, Australia was pretty much regarded as the wrong side of the tracks. So when Alexander made his way first to Melbourne and Sydney and then on to London, he was constantly... Uh, dealing with this perception of his homeland being not a very good place to be from. And he was a master at changing his accent, changing his affect. And uh, apparently, uh, after a while in England, he, he kind of gave the impression of being a Brit. So uh, how that affects the Alexander technique is an interesting question. But if he'd been born in New York... In, in, in 1969, he probably wouldn't have those issues to deal with. Yeah, maybe uh, those issues, uh, I don't know, I guess they would affect different people in different ways. But one way is uh, that constant need to prove yourself, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And... Um, yeah. So, what what are some other ways that you how how would you see? Assuming he made, let's assume he made the same discoveries, mm -hmm. um, probably in a very different way. I mean, Alexander was observing animals very closely, mm -hmm. and unless our guy hung out at Central Park Zoo or went to summer camp, he may not have seen a lot of animals other than squirrels and pigeons, right? Mm -hmm. and, and rats. And rats, yeah, you would have had a good opportunity to see those. Well, I don't know about, you know, I, I don't know how the technique would be formed as much as I'm interested in, um, let's just say, I don't know, like he was an Alexander teacher somehow, born mm -hmm. in 1969. In other words, like, let's say the jargon that he used mm -hmm. he used certain words like you know the words we know means whereby inhibition and mm -hmm. you know words mm -hmm. like that would he, the question i have is would he be using those same words i, I doubt he would be using inhibition 
Right. So let's say you don't think he would, and let's say I don't think he would, and some mm-hmm. people out there, you know. Right. My my contention is that if he wouldn't, then we shouldn't. Oh, I see. Okay. That's where I'm going. Like, And yeah. if you think he would, then uh, that's fine, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you think he'd be saying something else because it's uh, now 2013 that we're doing this mm-hmm. – um, then that's how we should be speaking about the technique, not something he came up with in 1900. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, inhibition for sure, because uh, he was pre, pre-Freudian use of that word, and, and Freud's version of inhibition kind of took over. Freud won. They, Freud Fre- won that battle 100%, <laughs> so I'm sure anyone showing up now would... would which is some other word, and uh, I have to I have to agree with you. That's not a great word to use. There's something called behavioral inhibition, which is mm-hmm. a, uh, a a diagnosis you could get. And uh, some of the symptoms are that when you let's say you walk into a unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people, you freeze. Not in the in the sense of shyness, but you freeze in that you can't speak, you can't move your muscles. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's called behavioral inhibition. Yeah, it's it's not a good word, and yet I use the word with students and try to say how positive it all is and how it's, it's such a great, you know, it's a great idea. But I wish there was another word. Mm-hmm. And in addition to language use, um, I think his whole approach to getting the word out would have been quite different. Than it, than, so, than it was for Alexand- the original Alexander. The original Alexander didn't use the internet. And mm. as I wrote in that little post, you know, because he was old school. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what about, what about if he were around now? Well, we know. I mean, we're kind of assuming that his personality was similar. He made the same dis- basic discoveries, right? Yeah, just for fun. Why not? Because if we don't assume that, I mean, really, anything's possible. Um, well, we know Alexander was uh, a, a public, really wanted to get the word out. Once he once he came to a realization of how important his discoveries were, and how powerful they were, and how useful they were, he he used any means necessary or available to him to to get his ideas out there. Pamphlets, uh, later on books, uh, letters to the editor, um, lectures, that sort of stuff. Now, right. Flyers. Yeah, flyers. We have we have a lot of those in uh, the book articles and, and lectures that mm-hmm. was collected a number of years ago. And he was not shy about promoting himself. So, as you said, he used anything that was out there at the time. I think so. And he was also uh, very quick to latch on to endorsements from anybody who he felt would, you know, carry some weight. Absolutely. And in his case, in Australia, it was um, doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, in England, it was, also, it was also doctors, although he had a big falling out with one of them. But it was a fam- famous people. He loved famous people. Mm-hmm. They thought uh, he he thought that they would be able to spread the word, whether it was politicians, right, uh, socialites, and socialites. You know, people 
that had a prominent place in British society he would cultivate. Uh, of course, he also visited the States and, and cultivated people like John Dewey and other philosophers and, and thinkers in the New York, kind of in that New York circle. And so what would he be doing now? Well, my guess is he, he, you know, for him in Australia, London was the place to go. It was the center of the world, really. I think if he were in New York, he might stay in New York, or he might, if he was multimedia uh, oriented, uh, uh, hop on a plane to uh, to L.A. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Hollywood, you know, yeah. and the entertainment business was there, and that would be a great place to make a name for himself and get get some famous stars and singers and people like that involved. I wonder if if people listening to this are thinking, nah, he wouldn't do that. Like it's like cheapening the technique. Um, I, yeah, I, (laughs) I guess there would be some, some teachers who might think that, but really, if you look at his own life, um, he really w- was out there as as much as he could with what was available to him. And I don't see why he wouldn't. Uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine he wouldn't have a website or two or three that he wouldn't be tweeting and on, on Facebook and uh, doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um making videos i mean he he had a a knack for for pr and i'm i think he would have just used whatever came his way and taken advantage of any famous or well-known students uh, you know get their endorsements and get the word out <laughs> and he might possibly have moved into the business of training other teachers a lot earlier than, than he did Right. Mm-hmm. Because everything, you know, if he was born in in 1969, things move move a lot faster these days. You know, um someone has a good idea, it it spreads really quickly. Hmm. And for Alexander originally, you know, in in Sydney and Melbourne um yeah, he he had local reputations, but that wasn't going to cut it really in the outside world. He had to get to London, and even then, that was fairly isolated from from North America in terms of quick exchange of ideas. Absolutely. So, I think he I think he'd have done all all the the equivalent things to get to get his word out. I guess the big question in a way would be would he have become seduced by fame and fortune that could likely have arrived at his doorstep you know hmm. uh fame and fortune as far as well supposing he had really hit it big in hollywood in the in the early 21st century mhm and um you know, everyone was talking about Alexander. Uh, would, would he? Would it have corrupted him? Oh, um, yeah. I of course. I have no idea. Yeah, but I I think it would have uh, made 
the job of an Alexander teacher, well, let's say easier. Assuming, assuming he had trained some other teachers. You if know. he had trained other teachers, but he'd have that's to, right. He could, I mean, Alexander himself really didn't begin training on a significant scale till, till he was uh, almost seven, let's see, in his 60s, right? Right. Well, let's Although make, he did train, he, had, he did train um, even in Australia. He trained at least one or two teachers there, and, and he trained people. In, he trained his brother, for sure. He trained a woman named Lillian uh, Twycross, I think her name was. I think she actually is the first trainee of Alexander's. Huh. And he trained some people in London before he started his training course, but it was all on a very informal basis. He might have, you know, he might have, uh, if he'd gotten famous, immediately set up a studio and 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 outsourced the training and churned out dozens of teachers. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's my guess. And for the purpose of this exercise, let's let's say he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's say let's say there would be like a lot of teachers, you know, training courses. His approved whatever training courses. Mm-hmm. I think if he did you know make it big in hollywood as you said or you know bid on television mm-hmm. there would we wouldn't have to worry about an alexander a, a uh, elevator speech right we wouldn't I mean, have to be, it, right you don't have people. to have an elevator speech uh for for you, t- you tell someone you're going to have physical therapy exactly you don't need an elevator speech i've never heard of physical therapy you don't get that you don't get that um but you know the other thing that might have been dramatically different is that for whatever reason he never uh trademarked or copyrighted the name Alexander Technique. In yes. fact, I'm not even sure he used that word, that phrase. Yeah, I know he was calling it the work. The work, yeah. And you know that the implications of that are gigantic that no one has the legal right to restrict other people from calling themselves Alexander teachers. Absolutely. That, that's a huge factor in what's going in, in current developments. There was a big court case after Alexander died in England around that very question. And um, the, the, the judgment there was that no one had the right to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's way too late now for anyone to um, appropriate it exclusively but if he had been born in 1969 with in new york with attorneys everywhere and probably attorneys of some of his students i'm sure he would have been advised to um to copyright to give get a get a name for his process that maybe wasn't the alexander technique mm-hmm. and to copyright it yeah um, and that would have had huge implications down the road. Right. And does that get into, and we don't have to get into this area, but does that get into licensing? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it, it would mean that you could not call yourself a practitioner of his thing if you weren't, uh, didn't have his permission. Right. Because right now you could call yourself an Alexander Technique teacher, you can can't call yourself a certified Alexander Technique teacher, except if somebody just gives out some kind of certification that AMSAT or whatever doesn't approve of. Yeah, you could call yourself a certified teacher as long as someone certifies you. That's so right. So I could That's certify right. you 
Thank and you. then you could be a certified teacher. I, I don't. There really is no. Um, you can't say you're a certified AMSAT teacher if you're not a That's member. That's right. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that has huge implications about the future development of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, obviously, some people think that's a, a bad thing because anybody could go out there and and set themselves up as an Alexander teacher, and that is a downside, and it has happened, although I don't think it's really happened all that often. I don't either because it's not exactly where the money is. Yeah, but but um, the downside of, uh, of uh, that would be uh, of the, uh, you know, the... having a copyright or trademark name is it really can be an inhibition as it were to progress in the work Mm -hmm. because you can get a group of people deciding what it is and what can be done and what can't be done uh, can't be done and anything outside the box is viewed with suspicion and so on and so on it's kind of like the way it is now well, no, Mark, you said it. I, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is get this is veering into current Alexander politics. But <clears throat> okay, so let's. Yeah. How about this? You mentioned, uh, you know, Amset. Mm-hmm. Would he be a member? Well, he, you know, he never. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He never uh, was real keen to have any society in, in the original Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think uh, if he'd been born in 1969, he he would have probably, after copywriting the name, then set up a mechanism for churning out teachers of his work, mm-hmm. and probably he would have created some kind of certifying body, and he probably yeah, I imagine he would be a member of it. Hmm. Um, you know. Who knows? But I, I would, I would imagine that everything would be just very, very different in that regard. And personally, I don't think it would have been as. I, I think long term would not be good for the work. Mm. But that's just my my personal view. The other thing I was just thinking is, you know, just to go back to jargon for a second. Yeah, we yeah. talked about ambition. The word posture is a very popular word. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's got negative connotations for us in rigidity and, you know, stomach in, chest out, shoulders back, stick your chin in, imagine a rope pull, yanking your head up and all of that kind of stuff. But I wonder what he would, the current Alexander, the new one, would think about it. And maybe, I'm wondering also if he, if if the word posture would have a different meaning hmm. because of him. Yeah, we did a we we've done an interview on that, which I haven't yet processed. But yeah, right, right, right. Um, boy, who it, that's a that's a really interesting question. I think that he was the kind of guy that he he would see that word was out there, which <clears throat> it probably wasn't in the same way in his time, mm-hmm. and he would say, "Well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna appropriate that and." We're going to help people with their posture. I think Mm so. Yeah, interesting. And uh, maybe have a different idea about how to help them with their posture, not the common, you know, way that when you tell somebody I'm an Alexander teacher and they Mm -hmm. snap to attention. Yeah, I think he. I think he would have been very aware of the limitations of that word as it's currently used, and he would have addressed that in some some way. 
You know, there's another question um, that kind of comes up as well, is how much would he be working on his own, developing his own ideas by himself, and how much would he be kind of soaking up other ideas that were in the ether? Mm. And I think a lot of people... I mean, the classic Alexander story is that he... He's in this obscure part of the world working on his own with his mirrors for nine or ten years and out pops the Alexander technique, which is totally and completely false. I mean, <laughs> timeline-wise, it doesn't work, and um, it, it's, it's, it, it's just wrong. But the other thing is that even where he was in, uh, out there in, on the edge of the empire, he was aware of stuff. And he was he was certainly aware of things like the Delacroix method, which he and there's a big uh, discussion about this on Facebook. It has been as we talk. He actually held himself out as a teacher of that method, mm-hmm. and uh, for a while. And I think he was he may very well have been aware of Stanislavski's work. It was the right time frame. He read books. He was interested in acting. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to imagine that he wouldn't have known about it. And I think if he had been born in 1969, it would have been impossible to avoid all that other stuff, you know? Right, including – and then uh, including neuroscientists. Well – learned yeah. about neuroscience. Oh, sure. I mean – neuroscience and uh, I mean even if he personally didn't stumble onto it he'd have students who would know about it Absolutely. he would have some awareness of other somatic processes like Feldenkrais and Rolfing and and Pilates um, all of those things he would he would at least know about I don't know what he would think of Pilates or anything like that but I think the neuroscience um, I think he might be into that because he was sort of talking about neuroscience in a way when he was talking about changing habits. Mm-hmm. I know there's one story somewhere where he was saying that if you have a a way to get to a lake, I believe he said, and you kind of trample down the grass and that's the way you go, then you discover a new way which is shorter, but mm-hmm. you have to trample down that grass. Mm-hmm. And then you do that, and then that becomes your new way of doing things. If somehow you make a mistake and you go back the old way, all of those uh, weeds and everything have overgrown, mm-hmm. which is kind of like it's very interesting. That's how we can af- form a new habit by practicing, mm-hmm. by practicing, and you yeah. form a new groove in the brain. And I think it's a really good uh, metaphor for what – what they're discovering with thinking that they can actually see that now. Yeah. Oh, I think I think he'd have been fascinated by current developments in neuroscience. Yeah. And you know, as as long as we're fantasizing here, uh the the work that's been done in the field of mirror neurons. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with that? Which um basically I, I mean, one way to look at that is that Actual hands-on touch, one person to another, is just a matter of degree. Mm -hmm. There is no essential difference from being in the same room with someone um, 
or and or putting your hand on them is is just more of something. It's not like it's a brand new thing. And in fact, even being in another room with a TV connection has elements of that too. That those those same neurons get fired. They get fired. Yeah. And if and you know, it takes away um it it kind of weakens the need for individual personal hands-on lessons. And he might have picked up on that right away, especially if he was out there in Hollywood and trying to capitalize on his success. Mm-hmm. He might have said, wow, let's get some group stuff going here. Let's get some uh, get some DVDs, some courses, uh, mm-hmm. train people at home. Who knows? That's right. And, and you could think of it as it weakens the need for the hands-on thing, or maybe it doesn't and it just strengthens those other ways. Yeah, the hands-on could be like for the really rich, they get the hands-on. <laughs> Everybody else Maybe. just because, gets... you know, that's the ultimate yeah. way is hands-on, but these other ways can work. That could well be what would have popped out of all of that. Um, <laughs> and who's to say whether that's better than what we have now or, or not? I I kind of would think it might be better in some ways, but right. I, 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 you know, I have more questions than I do answers. So. I think, I think, I think it, it's just, it is a really interesting, I think it is really interesting to have in the back of our minds when we say Alexander thought this or Alexander wrote this, right. That, you know, he really came out of a very specific time and place. Mm-hmm. And it was a time and place that was about as different from what we could imagine today mm-hmm. and still be English-speaking, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. Uh, as you could get. Yeah. And the influences on him, his education was not had, – had, there was nothing traditional about his own education. Mm-hmm. Um. The other thing which we haven't touched on is he he wa- he was pretty much the sole support of this large family. That's, um, that's right. You know, and he was constantly having to send money back to Australia and bring poor relatives over to England and so on, and that uh, probably affected his teaching uh, mm-hmm. in some way. Who knows? Who knows? And that would be another uh, topic, maybe for a podcast, mm-hmm. of uh, money and the Alexander Technique. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that would be an interesting – yeah, that would be – well, that's a hot topic these days on Facebook, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and yep. in, the Alex- in the whole Alexander world. Yep. Well, maybe this uh, – you know, when, when, when you originally uh, brought up 1969, my first thought went, hey, he could have been – Born in Haight Ashbury, Ashbury, Ashbury in uh, San Francisco, uh-huh. a love child of uh, you know a couple of hippies or student that's, that's radicals true. or whatever, that, which would well, have been. He'd be a two-week-old hippie, but <laughs> yeah. a two-week-old love child. Yeah, yeah, but yeah exactly. Anyway, so um, my uh, my guest for this whimsical conversation uh, has been Mark Josephsberg, an Alexander teacher in. New York, and if any anyone listening to this has an idea for 
another variant on this conversation or an idea for something that might follow in their minds, a a follow-up conversation on a topic of this sort, uh, contact either one of us and uh, maybe... um, Maybe Mark can do his first podcast interview. We're, we're <laughs> nudging him in that direction. That's right. I'm going in that direction. Absolutely, you're going in that direction. So, Mark, thanks so much for this. Great. Thanks a lot, Robert. <laughs>